As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live, small group, cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training, kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway, in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. If you just mitigate some of these noxious positions, get go to IKEA, get yourself a, a crappy $5 table and put it on your counter. And now you have a standing desk. And you know, and if you've ever gone drink, there are these places called bars. Have you ever gone there? I know yeah, you have Doreen. I've heard of it. Right, she's from Boston. You're not better than me. <laughs> and um, the, all you need to do is put your foot up on the bar. You're kidding about the Captain Morgan pose, but what is the Captain Morgan pose about? Well, what bartenders figured out a long time ago was that if I put my foot up on something, it took the extension load out of my back, and then I could stand. And it looks a lot like tree pose in yoga, doesn't it? And what happens then, <clears throat> 
excuse me, is this allows me to stand without load on my spine, foot goes up, and now I've mitigated so much of like, oh, I'm standing, my back is killing me, you know, I'm fidgeting, yeah. no problem. So automatically you've taken so much of the problem out of it. If you're gonna bend over, bend over for your work, because that's what you have to do, well, don't spend the rest of your time at work bent over, get into a better position. Those are those blocked positions. But the rest of it, the sort of non, you know, force sitting, get rid of it. You don't need to sit all the time. You know, stand up and eat breakfast, stand up and out your emails. I have a standing desk here. It changes I, things, doesn't I've it? I've switched to walking meetings. It's amazing. As anytime, if I don't need a chalkboard or a whiteboard or some sort of computer, I will grab an executive or a peer here. We'll just go for a walk and talk. And we don't have to walk far. We just walk outside. Walker's a great park right here. And walk around there. And in 20 minutes, not only have we got all, everything accomplished that we need to, but I, I'm actually, I you moved. feel, yeah, I'm not sedentary. Yeah, I feel sharper. Juliet, when she has a serious meeting um, on the phone, she walks around, she paces. And I'm like, oh, Juliet is in the heat because she's pacing like a tigress, right? And uh, she does not say, oh, this is really important, it's Barack Obama, let me sit down, right? And what's happened is that we started to see and notice that, wow, uh, a little online calculator, Juliet stands during work, she burns an extra 50 to 100,000 calories a year. That's 33 marathons. So oh, you can sleep. run 33 marathons, <laughs> come or you can just stand. And I'm telling you, this is, this is a fast track. You're just getting additional load. You have to have the load. That's Kelly Starrett. He has written a book on standing versus sitting and how sitting is killing our posture, our health, our productivity. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Some of the things that you can do with your desk, with your workspace that will increase your productivity. So let's get into it. Welcome to Rocketship.fm, the podcast where we explore startups from funding to growth, from culture to sales and everything in between. I'm Michael Saka. I'm Mike Belsito. And I'm Joelle Goldman. Welcome to episode two of our productivity series. There is so much content for us to cover here. If you haven't listened to episode one, go back and check it out. It's not essential right now, but definitely worth the listen. You can see all the different topics we're going to be diving into in this five-part series. So today, we're going to be talking about your workplace. So we're talking about office space, office design, sitting versus standing, and even a clean versus messy desk. So when we talk about office design, there are two main categories that workspaces fall into. The cubicle, or the closed office, and the open office. And we've been going back and forth on which one's better since the dawn of the 20th century. Architects like Frank Lloyd Wright saw rooms and walls as downright fascist. This might seem like a slightly extreme statement, but it just goes to show how passionate people are about this topic. Early office design and layout is largely influenced by the 19th century industrial boom. Bosses and management have their own offices, they have privacy, they can shut the door and concentrate, they can let people in, they cannot let people in. Their offices often have a secretary that someone needs to, to go through or make an appointment with in order to even meet with the boss or the management. This creates a very top-down driven hierarchy, which is naturally built into the company as it's built into the workplace. But in the 1950s, a German design group called Quick Warner broke up the rows of desks and even these offices to create an open landscape. 
Now, this was revolutionary at the time. It allowed people greater access to each other for better or for worse. Here's Pat Waters, head of human resources at Platronics, who recently switched to an open office space. This clip is from a CBS documentary on open offices. The cubes are meant to be open. They're meant to be more transparent. They're meant to encourage collaboration and ease of connection. I want people to talk more. I want them to exchange ideas more fluidly. And that is the promise of an open office. Mark Zuckerberg sits with his team, always accessible by anyone in the office. No longer do you have to go through a secretary to make an appointment with the boss. The boss is on the floor working alongside you. But there's a downside to the open office. While aesthetically pleasing, it can be noisy and distracting. It can actually cause workers to get less done and be less productive because there's more people to interrupt during focused work times, whether it's just to chat or check up on an account. This can happen at ease when we don't have barriers within our workspaces. And while we may be able to talk more fluidly this way, it does take away from that concentrated time that we still need. We recently talked with Natalie Nagel, founder of Wildbit, about their new office setup. believe very strongly in closed office work environments. Um, so when we moved into our new office, we've been here for about a year. We actually, when we, we spent a year looking because we needed something large enough so that every person on the team had their own office. So everybody has a door, everybody has walls, um, everybody has a standing desk or, you know, it goes up and down. And that was extremely important to us to have that opportunity to have your quiet, focused time when you're in your, in your physical space. So the, the remote team members are lucky because they have, you know, they work at home. So they get to do, you know, they get that quiet, focused opportunity. But when you're in an office, it's really hard when you're sitting next to each other. So we, everybody has closed private offices. Um, when I hire remote, I don't really hire anybody who doesn't have a dedicated workspace. So you can't really work for me out of your, off your kitchen table. Um, again, because I just, I, I believe really strongly in like time, focus time without distraction so that you can get your work done in those 40 hours and, you know, go home. Of course, not everybody subscribes to the closed workspace concept. Christopher Celeste, who's founded and led tech companies and ad agencies, and currently backs one of the largest makerspaces in North America, believes strongly in the open workspace. Christopher shares more on why companies, especially startups, can benefit from an open environment. You know, while I, I think there's certainly um, specific jobs and roles in certain kinds of businesses that demand certain kinds of you know, um, space design. I think generally speaking, I'm uh, in the school of open. I mean, listen, first off, we all have our own individual space. It's called our heads. <laughs> and most of the time we struggle to get out of them. You know, we struggle to get what's in our heads out to others anyhow. So I think the first imperative of office design, especially in sort of resource strap, multi hat wearing world of startups is how do you help people get out of their heads and together share and build upon each other's ideas and and do that in a way that's timely and transparent because speed and is, is so important. And I just happen to think, you know, open communal spaces do that. I think, you know, the newsroom as a as a kind of de facto traditional proxy for, you know, the bullpen in a newsroom. You know, why was that the case? Well, they were in the business of creating and distributing ideas and stories in a timely fashion. Um, I think it's an interesting model for what you see in a lot of sort of the um, the, the digital startups. Now, 
I think that you have to find the right balance. The idea of small perches, there's a difference between having private space and having space that's only designated for one person. So, you know, I've always remember that early in my career going from a traditional ad agency where all the senior folks had private off private offices and basically their their importance in the organization was based on how much exterior window space and how many ceiling tiles to had. Um, and I went from that to sort of a technology marketing firm where everyone, including the founder and CEO, sat at open desks and the, all the conference and private rooms were shared. And the truth is that you know, the information, the sense of um, in access to information and ownership and responsibility and innovation flowed much more freely in that second environment. And it wasn't just because the literal walls were gone. It was because in the absence of those, all those unspoken, invisible cultural barriers that create hierarchy and keep us apart, they disappeared too. So I just think there's something powerful um, in visibility and that's often Easy, more easily um, accomplished in open environments. When Rain Wilson realized he had a special gift for talking people to sleep, he had two choices. Construct a massive speaker that would blast his voice to every person in the country or invent a talking pillow. AT&T Business eventually talked him into the pillow thing. And backed by a reliable network, the only network with built-in security controls, Sleep With Rain was a hit. Take your ideas to the moon and beyond at business.att.com. That's business.att.com. A 1998 study in the British Journal of Psychology found that background noise containing irrelevant speech affected workers' ability to memorize prose and do mental arithmetic. In an open office space, this background noise is almost unavoidable. But on the flip side of that, the quieter the office, the harder it becomes to have a confidential or personal or honest conversation. A certain amount of noise is desirable, like a hum of a busy restaurant that allows people while sitting next to each other to share freely. Too many open offices that I've been in become just that, this vacant silo of silence. And it almost feels awkward to talk which is the complete opposite of the goal we're trying to achieve. So there's a, there's a balance that needs to be set there. Back in 2007, Christopher Celeste was faced with the challenge of figuring out the right office space mix for a company that he was leading at the time, Findaway. I was actually a part of that company. It was the first startup I ever worked for. Christopher talks about finding the right mix of space and why making the decision on workspace is an important one to make. Well, you know, Mike, from my perspective, any business, but especially a startup business, is really nothing more than a collection of people moving through time and space toward a common goal. And therefore, consciously focusing on where and how that collection of people interact is, to me, the difference between either building a community in which people can contribute their full potential, both individually and collectively, or just an office space where people show up to do their jobs. And since I happen to believe in the consciously build a community approach, you know, at Findaway specifically, that meant, you know, how do we create a space where we could combine our, you know, front of the house staff, people who were in the creative and the strategic disciplines with our team members who were back of the house staff doing assembly and distribution of a physical product? Um, you know, how do you create a space that allows both those different kinds of disciplines to interact? And in that office, everything 
was designed at least as best we could given our startup budget um, to enable connectedness and to force people to interact. Um, so you had open work bullpens and when you couldn't do an open work bullpen, you tried to shove two people into an office design for one. You put glass in where you could so you could look into these offices and the communal cafe and all the communal spaces were for every associate, not for any particular class or department regardless of sort of where you fit into the structure, because by breaking bread together and in, intersecting um, even casually, you built relationships which ultimately paid a dividend when you got into a tight spot and you were trying to get things done. Um, so you know, using walls and, and then, of course, in that space, you also get to tell your story. And so, um, you know, we used walls and we used communal spaces to tell a brand story to visitors, but also to associates, you know, sharing values and talking about what we believed in. All of that designed to create a sense of community, not just a place to work, but a place you belong. And if you belong in a place where you're doing work, you tend to do more. Um, you tend to work harder. And so at Findaway, again, and I think especially in any startup, if you can get that extra competitive advantage by using space design um, thoughtfully, uh, why not take it? Another trend we see inside of tech companies, but now starting to appear outside of tech as well, is the ability to work remote. So workers are now able to choose their environment based on the type of work they like to do and how they like to get it done. Here's Jen Davis, a product manager at Platronics. I kind of determine where I'm going to work based upon the work I have to do. So if I kind of need that quiet time, I wouldn't necessarily want to be in the office. I'd do that at home. It's no longer about how many hours are you sitting in a chair in the office. It's all measured now really on what you can produce in a given time frame. Hit your deadlines, it's great. And this is the trend that I am most excited about because we need to create an office that represents our culture. That's the number one goal is when people walk into the office, they feel inspired. They feel like they can connect with the team. And maybe that's why some people, even if they have a real office to go to, sometimes they find that going to their coffee house or somewhere else to work out of, they could be more productive. I know I've been in that spot and still can be. Sometimes in the past, the office that I would go to normally it wasn't all that inspiring. So I'd take a day and I'd sneak out to work at that coffee house. But sometimes it'd be elsewhere. Sometimes it might be the Cleveland Museum of Art where they have Wi-Fi and it's this awesome space. Now, when I did that, I'd usually be more productive than ever and I would feel that inspiration and the quality of my work would show it. I don't personally believe that offices should be closed, that I would have to knock on every door and schedule every meeting with my own teammates. But I also do struggle in an open office to find that concentration. There is so many factors that are distracting for me. And while my mind is already strapped with multitasking and is oftentimes eager for a distraction, an open office is the last thing that I really need when I'm trying to do focused work, but the ability to choose my location, sometimes a busy coffee shop where I don't know anyone, is the best to just throw on some headphones and let that background noise do its thing. I, I'm able to concentrate extremely well on very particular tasks at a coffee shop. When I'm doing more creative work, more design heavy or heavy thinking, at home is the best place where I have two or three screens to work off of, to throw my different ideas around. When I go into the office at Crew, we have a beautiful headquarters, but that's my time to meet with the team, to talk to people, to socialize, and to do the heavy collaborative planning that's needed when you're looking at the future of a product or a business. 
So for office layouts, we're saying it depends. There needs to be some accessibility, there needs to be some collaborative space for the team, and there needs to be private workspaces where people can get focused work done. There's no one layout, I think, that satisfies all these, but people are trying to get there. So let's talk about clutter. Now, in an extremely cluttered or messy or dirty environment, it can be extremely detrimental to your productivity. It's distracting, it's demotivating, but what about the opposite? What about a very sterile environment? What does that do? And what does just a little bit of clutter or just a little bit of mess around our desk or our workspace do for us? There are a couple of studies that show that a slightly messy desk can actually lead to more creative thinking. Not to say that you should create that mess, but generally the brain is stimulated by these objects around it. In a sterile environment, the study found that the decisions that were made were often more safe, more conventional, and maybe sometimes more healthy. Kathleen Voss and her colleagues at the University of Minnesota found that participants tested in a messy room at a desk covered with paper came up with more imaginative uses for a ping pong ball than participants tested in a tidy room. There was one study that pitted a messy room against a sterile room, and the subjects in the messy room were more likely to choose a chocolate bar when given the choice between a chocolate bar and an apple. And in the sterile room, they were more likely to choose the apple. While that's a healthier choice, it's also more conventional. So the studies really aren't conclusive as to what's better. It's really up to the individual to decide what type of desk they want to keep and the type of work they're trying to accomplish. We'll be back with some of our findings on a standing desk and even a treadmill desk right after a quick word from our sponsor. So let's talk about your desk. Most likely you are sitting in a chair. You probably have your monitor on the desk or your laptop. And your posture throughout the day most likely slumps down. Especially as you get stressed out or you're dealing with tougher issues, your your body will naturally curl and you'll lose that straight back, that straight spine that keeps you healthy. So we talked with Ron Wiener, who you may have seen about 10 years ago on Startup Junkies when he founded Earth Class Mail. He is now the CEO of the Thermogenesis Group, who is best known for workingwhilewalking.com, and they have now developed their own treadmill desks, standing pads, and, and other products that help you be healthier while working. So these mechanisms in our bodies, you know, we've only been sedentary for the last 200 years since the Industrial Revolution. Before that, we were constantly mobile, agrarian society and so forth. And uh, so, you know, it still very much plays a part. So we're going to look at two different methods for setting up your desk. The standing desk, which is extremely popular, and the new trend of walking desks. So, you know, the first thing is when you switch to standing, what happens? Well, your your basal metabolic rate goes up a little bit, your resting heart rate. So you're going to burn a few more calories. How many? Not a lot more. You know, anybody who puts as a first bullet point weight loss on a standing desk is, is just... That, that, that's foolishness, um, that nobody's going to lose a lot of weight just by switching to standing. It may be the first step among many steps to, to, to fixing your lifestyle, but um, and it, it's definitely going to have much more of an effect on your productivity. You're going to feel that first. You're going to feel more energized because the moment you sit down, 20 minutes later, both your metabolism and your mental acuity shuts down about 20%. And again, it's caveman DNA. You're not on the hunt anymore. Your body says, let's preserve those calories. 
So the benefit of a standing desk is that you start to fix your posture, you increase your metabolism, you increase your awareness and your alertness, your productivity, all because you're standing. So what about walking? What if we take it to the next level? Uh, we're, we were all cavemen a long time ago, and our DNA is still caveman DNA. And an interesting thing happens when you go on the hunt, when you start walking, uh, your metabolism revs up, your mental focus revs up, you're a lot less subject to distraction, um, and you're getting more oxygen flow to the brain. Uh, and there's also the positive health effect of you're pumping blood back up. Your calf muscles are like the second heart in the body, and, and you're pumping blood back up, and you're getting more more oxygen, uh, your, your thinking improves. So when you go on a walk with a friend and you're talking, you totally lose track of time. You're hyper-focused in your conversation. You end the walk an hour later and you go, wow, it felt like 10 minutes. Well, guess what? The same exact thing happens on the treadmill. And this is exactly what many of us are looking for. How do we stay active? How do we stay healthy? How do we stay engaged while avoiding the negative effects that a desk culture bring on our bodies? You are cranking up your basal metabolic rate, you've gone from roughly 30 calories an hour to just laying there breathing to more like 110, 130 calories an hour. Um, again, don't reward yourself for doing this or you offset that. Whole, it took me years to figure that one out. Uh, <laughs> and you laugh because it's true, right? One Snickers bar, now you need to stand for another six weeks to make that Snickers bar. But if you have a treadmill desk, you only have to stand for a week. You, know, you only have to walk for a week. So, um, Anyhow, but now you're getting your blood pumping back up. Your brain is kicking into focus mode. And so when I first started treadmill desking, I didn't understand this. And I, I write for a living. I do a lot of writing. And uh, I, I avoided writing while walking. Uh, I thought that it would be too distracting. And eventually I realized, oh, my God, it's the other way around. When you're sitting, you get very distracted by the Twitter stream and the email toaster and the Facebook ping and everything, all bleeps coming out of your computer. And you don't get nearly as much work done when you're walking and your, your caveman DNA kicks in, you become hyper-focused. And as long as you got a good ergonomic setup, you will be able to type at the exact same proficiency as sitting, no matter how fast you're walking. Um, and you're going to output like crazy. So this is true, so true, Michael, that we had to build timers into the treadmill to prevent people from accidentally going too long. So for us on standing is an absolute yes. And on the, the treadmill desk, I am absolutely intrigued because the science does point to this. We should not be sitting for 10, 12, 15 hours a day. We should not be getting up, getting in the car, sitting all day, getting back in the car, sitting for dinner and sitting in front of the TV. It is no good for our bodies. We bring nothing but damage to our spine, to our posture, and eventually to our mood, to our productivity and how we feel every day. So we are a big yes on the standing. And if you've used a treadmill desk, tweet us and let me know what you think because the science seems very intriguing. Huge thanks to our sponsor today, Bench. Bench is the easiest way to get your bookkeeping done. Go to bench.co forward slash rocket ship and get 20% off the first six months. That is quite the deal. Plus, you're supporting the show. So what could be better than that? If you've made it this far, subscribe. We have three more episodes coming up in this productivity series. We have 
plenty of content, over 250 episodes in our archives. You can go to rocketship.fm and check out all of the episodes or just listen right in the feed. We keep them all there for you. If you want to follow us on Twitter, go to rocketship.fm. You can follow me at Michael Saka, Joel at Joel Goldman, and Mike Belsito at Belsito. All right, we'll be back here. We're going to be doing interviews on Tuesdays and full episodes on Thursdays. So stay tuned. Stay tuned.